Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, a number of weeks ago as I was planning my series of sermons on the book of Exodus, I read this chapter and I was struck by verse nine where we read, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. You know, the book of Exodus is a very ancient book. And here we have this, this verse, this ancient verse, that's a picture of broken souls, broken people. People so oppressed and depressed that they cannot listen to the good news. I was struck by that. I think I was struck by it because I've known people who have felt so depressed and oppressed that they just literally couldn't listen even to the best of news. And I wonder if the picture painted in this verse is perhaps also a reality in your life or has been a reality in your life. Or perhaps you know people, maybe you have loved ones who have been so oppressed and depressed that their spirits are broken and they can't even listen to the good news. Maybe that's not you this morning. Maybe you're starting 2020 feeling confident and you're feeling happy and you're feeling excited and that's great. But there are people in your life and people even in this congregation who have broken spirits. And if you live long enough, then you might experience that also, where you feel so broken in your spirit that you can't even listen to the good news. It doesn't even register. What struck me about this verse was its, its picture of brokenness, but then also in context, its picture of the grace of God toward broken people. So I would like to look at this text with you and preach to you the good news of Jesus Christ at the beginning of this new year, the good news of God's grace to broken people, that God loves broken people. You know that, right? That if you're feeling broken, that God loves you. And we're gonna look at three things as we look at this text. We're gonna look at the gospel message, we're gonna look at the broken people, and we're gonna look at the Great Commission, okay? The gospel message, the broken people, and the Great Commission. Moses, it says in verse nine, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. The NIV just writes, Moses reported this to the Israelites. You see, Moses is a true preacher of God. He's a true prophet of God. He doesn't go around speaking his own opinion. He doesn't go on just giving some people some, you know, some affirming words. He speaks to them the word of God that God has given him. So he speaks thus, he reports thus to the people of God, and what he speaks to them is what we read in the preceding verses, especially starting from verse six. Because in verse six, we hear the Lord say, say therefore to the people of Israel, and then the Lord tells Moses what to say, and then Moses takes that and says that to the people of God. And so if you start at verse six, you see that the Lord gives all these promises, these gospel promises to his people. In fact, he gives a number of statements, seven statements that start with, I will, I will do this, I will do this. And there's seven of them. You can read them starting in verse six. Say therefore to the people of the Lord, I am the Lord, I will bring you out, of, out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you 
from uh, slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment, and I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. There's seven I wills, seven I will promises of God. Dr. Philip Riken, who is a Presbyterian pastor and president of Wheaton College in the States, he takes these seven I will statements and I think he does a great job by saying really they cover four promises. There's the promise of liberation. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. And there's the promise of redemption. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And then there's the promise of adoption. I will take or I will adopt you to be my people and I will be your God. And there's, there's the promise of possession. I will bring you into the land I swore to your fathers. I will give it to you as a possession. So you have seven I will promises of God summed up in four, four big promises of liberation and redemption and adoption and possession. And all of these promises and all of these statements that the Lord states to his people demonstrate to his people his love for them and that he is a God who saves his people. That Yahweh is a savior God. And that's what is being spoken about in verse three. In verse three, the Lord says to Moses, when I talked to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I revealed myself to them as God Almighty, as El Shaddai. But he says, I didn't make myself known to them by the name Lord, in capital letters, which is Yahweh. So he's saying, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they knew me as El Shaddai, God Almighty, but not as Yahweh. And there's a bit of confusion around that, or people debate that, because if you go to the book of Genesis, you see that the Lord did talk to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in, in using his name, Yahweh, the Lord, in capital letters. So it's not that what is new in Exodus is that the Lord has revealed simply a new name, but what is new is what the people understand that name to represent, what they understand about God. In the book of Exodus, the name Yahweh, Lord, becomes infused with the meaning of God as Savior. God as Savior, the Lord who saves his people out of slavery. That's what is new or, or emphasized. In Hosea 3, 4, we read, the Lord, Yahweh, is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is Yahweh, and besides him, there is no savior. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they knew God as God Almighty, El Shaddai. They knew him as Yahweh, but now in the time of the Exodus, they understand him to be the covenant-keeping Lord, Yahweh, who saves his people from their slavery. The Lord God keeps his covenant promises. He's the Lord of liberation and of redemption and of adoption and of possession. He's gonna bring them out of Egypt and he will deliver them from slavery and he will redeem them with an outstretched arm and he will adopt them to be his people and he will be their God and he will bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey and he will give it to them as his possession because he is Yahweh, he is the Lord, he is the Savior. And as we've been looking at the book of Exodus, we realize that the book of Exodus is not just a, a historical story about the ancient Jews, but this, this story of Exodus is also, in terms of all of Scripture, it's like a template for our own relationship with the Lord. 
So if you use a template when you're doing some woodworking or if you're, you're making a dress, you can use a template, it's a shaped piece of wood or a shaped piece of metal or some other material that you put on and you trace to make something that is the same shape as the template. And in the same way, our salvation follows the same shape as the template we find in the book of Exodus. We as New Testament believers worship the Lord our God as our savior. And it's as if Jesus himself takes all of these I will statements about salvation and he makes them his own and he makes them ours in the New Testament. Jesus fulfills those, those four summary promises. Jesus is Yahweh, the savior, the Lord of liberation, who frees us from the power of, sli- of sin and the devil. Jesus is the Lord of redemption. He pays the price to redeem us by his death on the cross. Jesus is the Lord of adoption, who gives us the right to be called children of God so that we might cry, Abba, Father. And Jesus is the Lord who gives us a great possession, an inheritance guaranteed for us in heaven, and also makes us his possession. So when we read Exodus chapter six as believers, as Christians today, we hear Moses speaking good news, or the Lord speaking good news of salvation to the slaves in Egypt, And then we hear in that template the gospel message of Jesus Christ spoken to us today. That's how we ought to read it. So on this first Sunday of 2020, hear the words of your God. I am the Lord. I have heard your groaning. Your covenant God has seen your slavery to sin. And I remember my covenant and I have in pure grace sent salvation to you from on high, for I am the Lord, I am El Shaddai, I am Yahweh, and I am the Lord Jesus Christ who has come down to bring you out from under the burden of your sin, and out from under the burden of your slavery, and your suffering, and your guilt, and your shame, and the judgment to come, and I've come to liberate, and I've come to redeem, and I've come to adopt, and I've come to give you an inheritance to welcome you into the home of my Father, and I've done all of this, and I'm doing all of this, and I will do all of this out of pure grace. This is the gospel message. And then we read in verse nine, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. It happens often that the gospel message also today is proclaimed and that people don't listen to it. I read a sermon by Charles Spurgeon on this text where he says this, if a man wants to beat a dog, he can always find a stick. What does that mean? If a man wants to beat a dog, he can always find a stick. In other words, if if you have the intent to beat a dog, well then you'll do whatever it takes to find a stick. And if you have the intent to reject Jesus, well then you'll go find some reason to reject him. And it's been my experience as a pastor that many people that I know who have walked away from the Lord do that under the auspices of an intellectual argument, but their real reason is something else. Often it's relationship-based or emotional-based. Not in all cases, but oftentimes there's something going on in their life that makes them want to reject the Lord and Christianity, and so they find an intellectual stick in order to do that. But here we have a different reason for the people not listening. 
And of all the reasons that someone might not listen to the good news, this is the one that I can have sympathy with. They don't listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. What's a broken spirit? The King James Version talks about an anguish of spirit. Broken spirit here means to be despondent or depressed. Proverbs 18 verse 14 says, The human spirit can endure in sickness, but a broken or a crushed spirit, who can bear? We can handle sickness, but it is very difficult to live under the burden of a broken spirit, to live with utter despondency and depression. They don't listen to Moses because their spirit's broken. If you go just look back to, to Exodus chapter 4, verse 31, when Moses first comes to the people and speaks to them that the Lord will deliver them, we read in Exodus 4, 31, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. When Moses first comes and tells them the good news, they're hopeful and they've got anticipation and they have faith and they worship the Lord. And then what does Pharaoh do? He makes them make their bricks with no straw. He makes their life incredibly difficult and he begins to beat them and you can imagine them waking up earlier and going to bed later and bringing the kids along to find the straw and their life gets increasingly difficult and they go from the frying pan into the fire. Soul crushing oppression, unjust labor, they're trapped, trapped in an economic system of slavery where they're just fodder for the fortunes of others. They're struggling for daily existence. They're living in survivor mode. Ever since Moses spoke those words of hope, Pharaoh has, has made their life more difficult. They've been rendered helpless. They're dehumanized and exhausted. They live at the whim of their circumstances with that, of which they cannot control. And so they're harshly crushed under this burden of injustice and terrifying circumstance. And they're so broken. They're so broken also though under the weight of their unmet expectations that their faith has been now replaced with suspicion and their buoyant souls have been replaced with broken spirits. It's as if they're saying, don't get our hopes up again, Moses, because they're just gonna be dashed. We're not gonna do that again. It's better, better not to listen, better not to listen than hope that change can be possible. It's better not to listen than, than, than be heard again. We rather plug our ears and opt for the hell that we know than to dare to have some sort of hope and then end up living a hell that we don't know. When people are oppressed and depressed, the good news can sound like bad news. Too risky. I saw a picture of that, a living picture, a living picture that describes what it's like to, to be without hope in that way. Many years ago, I was working in West Africa in the country of Mali, and we had organized a food distribution up near the Mauritanian border. What had happened was is there was a huge locust plague that had come through just at the end of harvest season, and they'd wiped out everybody's harvest for the whole year. About 15,000 people uh, in that area had no food. There was a mass exodus. They went south with their families, leaving the old and the infirm to die in the villages, looking for food. We found that, th that this had happened. We organized 
food for 15,000 people for three months so that they could return, have food enough to eat while they planted their next harvest. When the day of the distribution came, what we had done is we had gone to all these villages and we'd surveyed all these villages in this huge area and everybody who uh, was in the area, everyone got a card on it and it had their name on there and they could come on the day of the distribution and get a big sack of grain. And so we gave out those cards and we tracked everybody down in the whole area. And just outside the village that we were staying in, uh, there was a, you could just see, just outside where the missionaries that we were working with living, there was a, there was a couple with a, one little kid, and they lived in sort of a makeshift camp just outside the village. And they were of a different tribal group, they were nomads, and what, they were very, very poor. They would travel around from place to place asking the chief of the village if they could draw his water up from the well or get some firewood for him in return for a little bit of food. The poorest of the poor. People who were totally marginalized, nomadic, weren't even allowed to live in the village. They had to live outside the village. They were nobodies. The poorest of the poor, the most marginalized people you could imagine. But because they lived in the area, we went and gave them a card so that they could receive food. And then on the day of the distribution, we saw them packing up to leave. And the missionary went and talked to them and it became obvious that they did not believe that anybody would give them food. They had the card. They knew that good news of food was available for all those people in the village, but for them, they thought it was a dirty trick. They thought we were fooling around with them. They were so smothered in suffering, living a burden of marginalization and a life of sorrow, that the good news of food in a hunger season seemed like a bad trick, like bad news. On the day of the distribution, they packed up their goods to leave. When your spirit is broken, when you live under harsh slavery, you can't believe or even hear the good news. The gospel message of liberation and redemption and adoption and possession is a beautiful gospel that comes to us in the mouth of prophets, on the lips of prophets, and in the person of Jesus Christ. And there are people who will reject it for sinful reasons and for selfish reasons to their condemnation, but there are also those who do not listen because they're smothered in sorrow and suffering. And they're under the harsh burden of slavery and the good news sounds to a broken spirit like an impossibility. To the ears of those in extreme suffering and humiliation, the gospel can sound like an invitation to further disappointment. And I wonder if that's been true for you in your life or in the life of some of your loved ones. What does a broken spirit look like? looks like a Malian family who's unable to see that the life-giving gift of food is available also for them. Or it looks like you and your loved ones when you're so deeply oppressed and depressed that you cannot lift your eyes up from the swirl of hopelessness that engulfs you. You're unable to see the grace of God in the darkness. Looks like those stuck in the smothering sadness that stops the good news of Jesus from ever reaching their hearts. Have you ever been there? I can assure you there are loved ones in your life that have been. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. 
So what happens next? Verse 10 starts with the word so. The people don't listen. So the Lord said to Moses, what does he say to them? Does he say, repent and believe, open your ears and listen, you stupid people. Get with it. You should go for a long walk outside. Listen to some good music. Come on, get your hopes up a little bit. You don't hear any patronizing words. There's no subtle suggestion that if they just tried a little bit harder, they could pull themselves up by their bootstraps after all. There's no suggestion that it's really just up to their will. What does the Lord do? He gives Moses and Aaron a charge, a task, a commission about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of slavery. He gives them a charge, a task, a mission. He gives them a great commission, Moses and Aaron. The people cannot even hear the good news. You must go and save them. They are so burdened they can't listen. They need your help, Moses and Aaron. Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel get out of his land. What's the Lord's response to broken people? cannot even listen to the good news. His response is compassion, and his response is love for them. And his response is a great commission for those who have heard and who have listened and who have believed the good news to go out and save those who can't. His response is not to abandon those who cannot listen because of their broken spirits, but to love them and to save them, to save his broken people. His response in a word is pure grace. This is our great God. Isn't it beautiful? I'd like to draw three lessons from this text for us today. The first is a a doctrinal application. If Exodus is a template for our own relationship to God, then this story demonstrates to us that salvation is not a two-handed affair. Salvation is not that God reaches his hand down and then we reach our hand up and grab it and that's how we're saved. Salvation is not a two-handed affair. Salvation is a one-handed affair. Salvation is where God must reach all the way down into the broken spirits and the harsh slavery of our lives and he must pull us up in his total grace. If the book of Exodus is a template for our own faith and spiritually we confess that we are born so broken and so under the harsh slavery of the devil in the harsh slavery of sin that we are born so totally depraved that in our sin and our suffering we cannot listen to the gospel message let alone respond to it unless the Lord intervenes in our life. None of us are saved even in part by the power of our own pure will by the strength of our own faith or the heroic activity of our own lives, despite our circumstances. Salvation is not for the strong. Salvation belongs to the Lord, we confess. His power is manifest in our weakness. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and all of this is a gift of God, so we give the glory to God alone. That's a doctrinal application. The second lesson or application is more personal. When you're feeling hopeless in your life, when you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, when your spirit is broken, 
when the dark clouds of depression and harsh oppression block your ears and block your eyes, the Lord does not leave you. The Lord does not leave you. He loves you and he cares about you and he does not abandon the broken. I've seen numerous people live lives so broken that they were unable to respond to the Lord and I've seen the Lord work marvelous things in their lives. He does not abandon them. In Isaiah 42, verse 3, in Matthew 12, 20, Jesus Christ is described as a Savior who will not break a bruised reed or snuff out a smoldering wick. A bruised reed, a long piece of grass that's been bent over and is is bruised. But Jesus doesn't come by and snap that off. He doesn't pass it over to look for the stronger reed. He has compassion on it. It's a picture of human brokenness. He has compassion and love for bruised reeds. A smoldering wick, like when you, when you blow out a candle and there's smoke that pours off the wick, but there's still that fire ember on the end of the wick. It's a picture of fragility. It's a picture of, of brokenness, the broken human spirit. Jesus doesn't come along and go, Shh. he doesn't snuff it out. He brings it back into flame. He has compassion and love for the broken. God's mercy is greater than your suffering. And God's grace is greater than your sin. And when you are weak, the Savior is strong. Christ himself intercedes for you today. And his Holy Spirit prays for you when you cannot express your words. The clouds of life, brothers and sisters, can obscure the sunlight. Clouds today obscure the sun, but the sun's still there on the other side. And in the same way, the oppression and depression of your life can cloud your life so that you can't listen to God or even think about it. But the Lord is still there, and he loves broken people. And then third, an application for all of us as the Church of Christ. Church of Jesus Christ, all of you who can hear and can listen and can respond to the good news of Jesus Christ, like Moses and Aaron, you have been given a charge. You are given today a commission by the Lord God himself. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11 says, encourage one another and lift each other up because sometimes your brothers and sisters fall down and sometimes they can fall very deep Sometimes they can become so broken and so burdened and so oppressed that they can't see God and they can't listen to him and they they seem to have no faith and God gives you the charge and he gives you the commission to come alongside them and to encourage them and to lift them up like Moses and Aaron were charged to do for the people of Israel. You see, God works grace in the life of broken people, but how does he work grace into the life of broken people? He oftentimes works grace in those who have fallen down, those who are oppressed and depressed and broken under harsh slavery. He often works his grace in their lives through his church. Like he worked grace in the life of the people of Israel through Moses and Aaron. You have that charge and commission today to encourage one another and lift each other up. God's people in Egypt needed help. Eventually, 
as we know the story of Exodus, they're going to take refuge under the blood of the Lamb on the night of the Passover. Eventually, they're going to move from, from the, sla- the sobbing slavery of Egypt to worship in the, of the Lord at Mount Sinai. But they need the grace of God to do that, working through his charge, working through his commission to Moses and Aaron. That little family outside the village in Mali. The day of the distribution, they were convinced that there would never be any food for them. Who were they? They were the, the nobodies, the lowest of the low, and they packed up their little donkey cart to leave. So the missionary that we were working with went over and asked what they were doing. Did you, have, did you not get your distribution card? Yeah, we've got that. And then in chatting with them, realized that they didn't believe there would actually be food for them. They could hear all the noise and the bustle in the villages. We were handing out grain to everybody, but not, not for them. So the missionary lady took the lady by her arm and brought her into the village. And she stood beside the mayor's wife and she received her bag of grain like everybody else. All she needed was some help to believe. She needed help to believe that the good news was also for her, despite her brokenness. And there are people in your life, brothers and sisters, who need that help. They need the grace of God working through his church, through your encouragement, you lifting them up. And that might be hard to do. Moses' response is saying, I've got uncircumcised lips, I don't talk well, how am I gonna do this? And the Lord speaks to them because the Lord will empower Moses and Aaron to do his work. And the Lord will empower you too if you faithfully step out to encourage and lift others up. So this new year, look out for the broken and the burdened in this congregation and in, the life, in, in your life around you. Learn to speak kindly to them, to sit with them in their suffering, to pray when they can't pray, to hope in the Lord when they can't hope in the Lord, to walk faithfully, compassionately with broken spirits, even if the road is long, to gently guide them by their hand in word and in deed so that they might also one day see the goodness of God is true also for them, that they might again hear the sweet voice of Jesus and his promises of liberation and redemption and adoption and possession. And then, of course, as the charge of Exodus 6 progresses through church, uh, church history, redemptive history, it extends out from the people of God, the covenant people of God, into all the earth, doesn't it? With the great commission of Jesus, who calls us not to shy away from the brokenness of the world, but to walk toward the brokenness of the world and to go into all nations making disciples with the message of God's grace. Brothers and sisters, this new year, let it be so. Amen. Let's pray. Lord of all grace, of grace upon grace, we worship you, Lord. O God of love, Lord, please strengthen bruised reeds. Lord, please bring to life smoldering wicks in our congregation. Mend broken souls. Deliver your people from harsh slavery. Comfort us in our troubles so we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. 
We pray that you might encourage us, Lord, so that we might encourage others. And as we lift our hearts up in worship, may we be found lifting others up. In Jesus' name, amen.